Hey guys, welcome to the Better Way Podcast, where we have conversations about anything and everything pertaining to following Jesus in everyday life. Our hope is that the discussions that we have here would challenge your faith and encourage you in your relationships with God, people, and the world around you. My name is Adam Winter, and I'm the host of the Better Way Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit untraditional. We had a one-night teaching event just two weeks ago that specifically addressed this topic today surrounding how to overcome pornography and sexual sin. And so rather than rehash all of the info from that teaching, we figured it'd make much more sense to just play that teaching as today's episode. So it's going to be highly practical, and if taken seriously, it will absolutely help you in your own battle against porn and sexual sin. The audio that you're going to be listening to, it was originally shot in a video format, so if you'd like to watch it rather than listen to it, you're you're going to be able to do that by just clicking on the link in the show notes of this episode. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Hey there, my name is Adam Winter. I'm the pastor of Spiritual Formation here at New Covenant Church. If you clicked this video, I'm pretty sure you know what you're getting into. Uh, But just so we're all on the same page, this is the video teaching for our Common Ground Victory Over Lust. Uh, We recently had this one-night event, and we opened it up to men only. But we've recognized all along that this is an issue that is very relevant to both men and women. And so this video teaching is for anybody, man, woman, young, old, anyone that has an ongoing problem or has had an ongoing problem with sexual sin. And not to belabor you too much with the statistics around this issue, but a study came out a few years ago that revealed that this issue is not just an outside the church problem, but also very much an inside the church problem. Just a couple of statistics regarding the issue within the church. I don't know if you can see these on your screen, but we see that one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and currently are struggling. And that amounts to more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders. And then 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say that it's been a struggle for them in the past. So that's leadership-wise. Then just with the general congregation, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they watch porn at least once a month. And so we see the magnitude of this problem, and yet only 7% of pastors report that their church has a ministry program for those struggling with porn. So we see already this is a very big issue, and I'd wager that these numbers are now even significantly higher as even more recent studies have come in showing that for, you know, in and outside the church, 89% of men as well as 61% of women admit to looking at porn at least monthly. These numbers, of course, have a huge impact on marriages, on families, with 56% of divorces involving one party having, quote, an obsessive interest in porn, alongside that 70% of wives that are married to uh, sex addicts report having been diagnosed with PTSD-like symptoms. So this is a big deal, and if you're watching this, I assume that you already understand that this is a big deal or that you're beginning to understand this in increasing measure. And so as we're talking about porn here from the start, I want to expand our definition. I think that too often when we think of porn, we're thinking only of triple X websites, of the very obvious forms of pornography. And obviously we're very much talking about that today in this teaching. 
But I've found over the years that I may not be looking at porn according to that definition, but I'm doing all kinds of other things that are still feeding and nourishing that sexual desire. Sin is super crafty and deceitful, and you can feel like you're doing well in this area, but you might be watching stuff on Netflix or Hulu that is just feeding it, right? It might not be quote-unquote porn, it might not be triple X material, but it's still filling your heart and your mind with lustful thoughts and desires. You could be scrolling through your social, social media feeds and lingering on things that are feeding this desire. Your thing might be reading erotic literature that is causing you to fantasize about the things that you're reading, and the list goes on and on and on. And so we need to expand our definition to go beyond just triple X websites and material like that to include anything that we are tying our sexual nature and or desires to. Anything that we're tying our sexual nature to. There's still so much taboo around this topic and so much shame wrapped around this particular sin. It's not as easily talked about as some of the more respectable sins that we oftentimes talk about in church. And so that's why we want to address it. With the magnitude of this problem that we just looked at with those statistics, with, with how much it's permeating the church and with how little the global church is apparently doing with it, the 7% number, we want to be at the forefront in providing hope and pushing for change in this area. And regardless of, of why you are here, even if this sin has led you out of the fantasy world and into the actual world where you, you've been involved in chat rooms or hookup apps or maybe even into physical sexual encounters with real people, regardless of where you are or why you are watching behind the screen that you are, there is hope. Isaiah 59, 1 says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and I believe that with all of my heart. And if, if you've been wrapped up in shame because of this, which there's a high likelihood that you have because shame and porn go hand in hand, we need to understand at the front that freedom from sexual sin cannot coexist with shame. Shame will only end up pushing us back into unwanted sexual behaviors. If, you, if you've experienced this and you know what I'm talking about. It just has a way of pushing us right back into the thing that's causing shame in the first place. But if you're here, I assume you're looking for hope and you're looking for change. And you understand that porn is a problem in your life. And, and while we know that porn is a problem, I want to be abundantly clear that porn is not the problem. Porn is the symptom of a deeper problem, like fruit on a tree, right? Think of a tree that's producing apples and those apples come out rotten. Those are a byproduct of something going on underneath the soil. And too often we just tell people, hey, just pick off the fruit, like take the rotten fruit, throw it aside, trim those branches off, maybe spray some pesticide on that and just like let it be. And we don't go deep enough. We don't deal with the roots. And if we don't deal with the roots, if we don't get underneath the soil, that rotten fruit's just going to happen again. We might be able to keep it at bay for a time doing that, but ultimately it's always going to come back and sometimes more rotten than before. So maybe you've told yourself, maybe you're at that place right now where you're like, you know, I'm just going to stop. You know, I'm going to watch this video and I'm, I'm stopping. This is it. Maybe you've recently been found out or discovered. Maybe, maybe you're just tired of feeling the shame and the consequences of what you're going through and you're telling yourself, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm done with this. 
Maybe someone else has given you that advice. Hey, you just need to stop. Just stop. Just think better thoughts, right? Just memorize more Bible. Just pray harder. Just how about you think about the people that you're objectifying when you look at that stuff and just stop. Just stop. And, and all of those things are good things to do, of course, every one of them. But simply saying, hey, it's sin. Just stop. Never really helped anybody. Not anybody that I trust. That's not good advice because it doesn't go deep enough. It's not taking us underneath the soil and taking us to the root of the behavior, the root of the problem. And it's not the path that Jesus gives to those that are wrestling with sexual sin, as we'll see in just a moment. Trying harder and just stopping is like telling someone to just pick off the bad fruit and to expect different results. And I've talked to so many guys that have told themselves that they're just going to try harder. They're going to buckle down. They're going to pray harder. They're going to focus their minds on God harder. I've said those things over the years as well, for sure. And again, all of those things are good things. And, and if we are serious, if you are serious about wanting to have victory over porn and over lust in your life, there will certainly be ways that you will need to try harder but if all this has ever been is you trying to do better with your own willpower, with your own resources, relying on your own strength, you'll never do it. You're wasting your time. You will remain enslaved in this area. Trying harder and telling ourselves that we'll just stop isn't effective at liberating us from unwanted sexual behaviors. Willpower cannot do it. Not in the long run. It might get you some temporary relief. You might be able to string together a couple weeks, couple months, right? At most of purity. But then you'll get to the point where you don't have the willpower anymore and you don't feel like trying harder anymore. You feel like watching porn. You feel like escaping a stressful situation. You feel like rewarding yourself after a long day. You feel like acting out sexually. And I know because I've been there a thousand times and I've talked to countless people who would say, the same. Jesus doesn't call us to simply try harder, but to be transformed. And that transformation that we're after, it comes at a cost. Becoming people who are walking in sexual integrity, becoming porn-free person comes at a cost. You and I getting caught up in this, if you're listening right now and you're caught up in this sin, it did not happen overnight. And so we would be so foolish and so naive to think that this is going to go away overnight. There is a cost. Jesus is going to call us to a cost. But before we go there, and we're going to look at that in just a moment, before we see what it is that Jesus calls us to, I want to talk about motivation. I want to talk about why we're doing this in the first place. What has caused you to watch this in the first place? Why do you want to change in the first place? You can ask yourself that question. Why do you want to have victory in this area? Why do you want to be porn free? For the longest time, and you'll hear a little bit about my story in, in a little bit, but for the longest time, some of my answers to this question were, I want my marriage to heal. I'm tired of hurting my wife. I, I want to be free from guilt and shame. I want to feel better about myself. I want to be more productive with my life and with my time. I want to be a better example for my children. I want to be a better leader, right? These were my motivations. These were the reason why I wanted to change. And these are all good things. Nothing wrong with that list at all. These are great reasons to want to walk in freedom over pornography and sexual sin, but they fall short. 
These motivations ultimately are concerned with horizontal consequences. I hate how I've hurt my wife, the relational stress that we now have, the way that people now perceive me, the effect that this has had on my mental health, my emotional health, the way I perceive myself, the way that I haven't been available to others. Again, all good things, but they're all horizontal. They're all focused on me wanting to get out of the consequences that I'm experiencing. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to a church in Corinth. This is, he wrote the, the letters 1 and 2 Corinthians. And this is a church that was notorious for its own problems with sexual sin. And in his second letter to this church, he says this. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, he's talking about his first letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So there's obviously a lot being said about sorrow here. I've underlined every occasion and we should be sorry. We should be sorry. If you're not sorry for what you've done, if this is just like, dang, I got caught and so now I got to do something about a situation for you, then you should really spend some time considering if you actually care about what God says. Because if you don't, that is scary. You are in a dangerous place spiritually if you just don't care. And this is just, oops, I got caught and I have to do this thing to appease my wife or to appease this person or whatever. That's a really scary place to be in. You should really be vulnerable with God about that and work through that with him. Step one is to actually feel sorry over what we have done. But Paul warns us here in, in 2 Corinthians, he says that there are actually two kinds of sorrow, right? He says that there are godly, there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And he says that it's only godly sorrow that leads to repentance and lasting change. And worldly sorrow, on the other hand, leads to death. And here's the crazy thing about worldly sorrow is that it's legitimate, that there's real sadness there. There's real brokenness. There might even be actual tears. And the issue is not whether or not a person is broken. The issue is what they are broken about. The focus of, of worldly sorrow, it's right there in the world, in, in the name itself. It's the world. People experiencing worldly sorrow are, are distressed about what they're losing or what they fear losing. And, and they're fearful about losing the things that the world has to offer. Here's something that's really sobering from a guy named Heath Lambert. He wrote a great little book on overcoming porn called Finally Free. And about worldly sorrow, he says this. He says, this kind of worldly sorrow leads to death. It is lethal because it flows from the same kind of heart that wanted to look at pornography in the first place. This connection is critical for you to understand. A sinful heart that desires to look at porn says, I will have whatever I want, whenever I want it. I don't care if it's harmful, if it hurts God or those I love, I will have whatever I want. This kind of heart sins in pursuit of its own pleasures. Worldly sorrow is obsessed with keeping these objects of selfish desire. All the tears and all the pain are actually about the loss of your stuff. 
You're crying about the things you're about to lose and would like to keep. You looked at pornography because you were living life for yourself. Now you're sad because you're about to lose stuff that you would like to keep. The self-centered orientation of your heart is the same whether you're lustfully viewing pornography or tearfully expressing worldly sorrow. It is terrifying to think that even our sorrow can be selfish and sinful. That's heavy. But godly sorrow is different. The focus of godly sorrow is God himself. It's a sorrow that is pained and burdened over the break in relationship with God. It's heartbroken that God has been grieved and offended. And to be clear, there is certainly room within godly sorrow for the loss of family for a hurting spouse, for fractured relationships or other things. It is natural and good to be sorrowful over those things. But if those things are not accompanied by first and foremost, a pain over what your sexual sin has done to God or means to God, then you're probably caught up in worldly sorrow. And that's not good because God's word says that it's only godly sorrow that leads to lasting change and genuine repentance. And so what are we to do? What if you recognize right now from the start that you've been walking in worldly sorrow or maybe no sorrow at all? The really good news is that the solution is simple. We start by asking God to forgive us. We acknowledge what we've just read in his word and we turn to him in obedience and we confess. We say, God, forgive me for caring about only horizontal things. Forgive me for having tears and sorrow for only things that are earthly, for for only things that, that really have nothing to do with you. And yes, I should care about those things, but I haven't even thought about how my sin has impacted you. Please, God, fill my heart with a sorrow that first and foremost is oriented toward you and how it's impacted you. I think about David in Psalm 51 saying, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Did he mean he didn't sin against anyone else? No. But he meant that first and foremost, the orientation of his heart was filled with a godly sorrow that was fixed on how his sin had affected God. And as we pray that, that is a prayer that God loves to answer. And and you may find yourself over time gravitating back toward that worldly sorrow. And if so, just come right back to God and say, God, here here I go again. Would you please continue to remind me about the need for godly sorrow so that I can have genuine repentance in my heart? And he will answer that prayer as often as you bring it to him. So that's where we start. Our motivation has to be right. The reason why we want to change ultimately has to be on God and honoring him with our sexuality. And so back to what I was saying about counting the cost. Jesus is going to to call us to count the cost and to, to discover if we truly want to be free from sexual sin. Jesus does not pull any punches here in what we're about to look at. And here's what he says. It's Matthew chapter 5. I'm sure most of you have heard it before. And so let's really try hard to hear this again with fresh ears. If we could just try to pretend like we've never heard these words before because they are so familiar. If this has been an area of struggle for you, let's try to approach them with fresh ears. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, or man, for those that are women uh, watching, 
with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is speaking very directly to this issue, and he's very serious about it. And and here's the thing. I I don't want you to hear this and feel shame. Again, we need to emphasize that. Guilt is fine. Guilt is a good thing. It is a good thing to come to the realization that we have done something wrong and to feel bad about that. That's a good thing. Shame is different because shame tells you that not only have you done something wrong, but that you are something wrong. Right? It takes it a step further and tells you that now you are gross. You are messed up. You are vile and perverted and not worthy of love. That's what shame speaks into a situation. And shame we know in this area is so prevalent, um, but some of us might not even recognize the way that it feels anymore because it doesn't always feel like sadness if you've been in this world for any amount of time. It can begin to instead feel like a numbness, like a callousness, like an apathy like there's no hope. That is the the voice of shame. That is the feeling of shame. And the gospel has nothing to do with shame. Dane Ortland, he wrote a great book called Gentle and Lowly. And one of my favorite quotes from this book goes like this. He says that God is rich in mercy. When we're talking about God being rich in mercy, he says it means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculated and cautious like ours. It's unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. So when we read Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, I want us to keep this in mind. When we hear Jesus speak and address this issue, let's hear him with a tone of love with a tone of acceptance, with that mercy-rich heart, with deep concern and care, right? Jesus is not saying, hey, stop stop being gross and get your act together. Instead, I believe he's saying, would you listen to me? Would Would you trust me? Would you count the cost and recognize that your life is on the line? Would you recognize what is happening to you? Jesus had a half brother named James and he wrote, obviously the book of James. And he said this about temptation. He said, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then there's this cycle that begins in a process. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. To death. This is what porn and sexual sin are moving toward in our lives. And no one watching probably believes this. No one watching thinks that they're going to be the person who ends up in the newspaper, right? For allowing their sexual sin to take them too far. No one has that end in sight. 
We all think that we're in the driver's seat of our sexual sinful choices, that we are in control, that we know when to stop, we know when enough is enough, right? And man, that is such a sneaky, deceitful lie that has duped person after person, and both Jesus and James offer us a warning. And I've been praying over this teaching, I've been praying for everybody that will watch it, that, that, that they will hear it, that it will land on fertile soil, and I'm also understanding that some of you will heed these words, and some of you might not. Jesus said this, that there will be some that have ears to hear and sadly some that don't. And so I'm hoping that you will heed these words of Jesus, right? I've seen many people be motivated for a few days, for a few weeks, but really make very few changes. And consequently, changes don't happen and they end up being the same person that they were before. And that, that, that could be sadly your case. And, I, and I'm praying and I'm hoping that that's not the case. Jesus in Matthew 5 here does not call us to try harder. He doesn't call us to pray more, not in this area, not, not, not in this teaching specifically. And he doesn't call, call us definitely to just simply agree with his words and then do nothing about them, right? He calls us to act. He calls us to get radical and violent with our sin. Again, I've talked to countless people with this issue and, and, and they've expressed a deep desire to become porn free who say, I'm tired of this cycle. I'm tired of the shame. I'm tired of the pain and the hurt that I'm causing people. I'm ready to change. And then we get here to Matthew chapter five and Jesus's words about very basic practical changes that need to happen in the justification start and the excuses begin and they end up going right back to their porn. And Jesus offers us a stern warning about where our sin wants to take us to a spiritual death. This is where it's leading us. To hell itself, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. And as a caveat, I do want to say that for those that are truly in Christ and have received him as Lord and Savior, I'm of course not saying that we can sin our way into hell, right? We know that our sins are forgiven forever, past, present, and future. But I am saying that if we continue to hear what Jesus is saying and then continue to find reasons to not obey him and, and notice that this is a command he's giving, not a suggestion, then I think it would be in our best interest to ask ourselves if we truly know him. That is just not the heart of a genuine disciple. If we can continue to make all kinds of justifications for our sin, come up with all the reasons why we just can't obey Jesus that way right now, it just seems a little bit too radical, a little bit too extreme, then I would implore you as a brother in Christ to check yourself, to truly evaluate your faith and see who you, who you say you are. Because that just does not sound like someone that knows Jesus. Jesus doesn't just call us to feel bad about our sin, but he calls us to act on it to do something about it. He calls us to respond in obedience. He calls us to count the cost. And not because he's holding out, because he loves us, because he knows that this sin will absolutely end up destroying our lives. And many of you, I'm sure, have already tasted that reality or are experiencing that reality right now in the present. And so let's get really practical. What does it look like to respond to Jesus's call here? What does it look like to, to get violent with this insidious sin in our lives? What does it look like to become men and women of in sexual integrity in a world that desperately needs that? I mean, it does not take long to turn on the news to read the headlines and see that this world desperately needs to see men and women who are walking in sexual integrity. 
If we want to change and we're serious about it, we need to understand that there are many ingredients to becoming porn free. If we're baking a cake and that cake is uh, sexual integrity or it's a porn free cake, I know that's funny, like kind of imagery there, uh, that cake is going to need a lot of ingredients. Again, if you came here thinking you're just going to leave with a little quick fix, you're going to get out of here and just kick, kick your porn habit, I'm sorry to tell you that's probably not how it's going to go, most likely. One of the first ingredients in becoming porn free is to cut off availability. Again, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. This is the first step. And this is where many people bow out and give up. I was there for a while. I told myself that I wanted to be porn free. I genuinely thought that I did, but it became apparent through my actions that I wasn't as serious about it as I said I was. I wasn't willing to do the things that Jesus was calling me to do. I wasn't willing to cut off the hand and pluck out the eye. Everything that I'm saying here applies to me too. I've mentioned that. My story is greatly marred by many, many years of habitual, ongoing pornography addiction. And I do mean addiction. I'm not talking about the way that we say, oh, you know, I'm really struggling with it or it's been a wrestling match for me. It's like, no, like for me, it was addiction. It was habitual. It was ongoing. You can use the term uh, bondage if you like. The, the Bible says being enslaved to sin, whatever words you're comfortable using, that's where I was at. And in the past, it's led me to some very dark places that I'd never thought I'd go. It's taken me a lot further than I ever thought I'd go. It's greatly wounded my marriage. It has burdened my family. It has damaged my brain and hindered the way that I'm called to love and serve others around me. It's pushed me into isolation. It's caused me to disconnect from others. I've hurt the church in the process as a result of that. So I speak from many years of experience, and, and though now I've come a long way and I've seen incredible victory in this area in the last several years, it's come at a high cost. This process of cutting off is not fun. It's not intended to be fun, and it surely isn't painless. There's a reason why Jesus uses the metaphor of amputation here. I've never had that happen. I imagine it'd be kind of painful. I imagine there'd probably be a significant amount of blood, right? Uh... It's going to be inconvenient, for sure, to have one hand or one eye. It would make some things a little bit more difficult than they were before. And to Jesus, to, to, to us, Jesus responds to that by saying, count the cost. No hand, no eye, or having your sin lead you to darker and darker places. You choose. There are lots of conveniences for me that I've had to completely give, give up and cut off. Um, in, in previous years. A few examples. To this day, I have no browser on my phone. I have no social media accounts. If I'm posting on Facebook or something like that for the church or something else, I'm using a public computer for that because my devices have no access. My phone and computers uh, are all monitored by filtering and accountability software that literally sends my screened activity to trusted, a few trusted mentors. I've given up privacy in increasing measure because I've proven in previous years that privacy isn't something that I'm capable of having in, in great amounts. When we're talking about addiction, when we're talking about being in bondage or enslaved to sin, we need to take it seriously. The Bible tells us to, to take extreme measures. 
And this certainly isn't to toot my own horn that I've done these things. There have been moments where it has flat out sucked. It took me far too long to take it seriously. The inconvenience of it has been frustrating at times. I felt like a kid uh, that needs a babysitter. And it's not to say that these things will have to be this way forever by any means. But right now, this is me taking Jesus seriously. And it took me again far too long to do that. I would have saved many years of pain and consequences had I done that sooner. And so this is me encouraging you, do not wait. Do something about it now. I would not trade it for anything now because it has been a necessary ingredient to me becoming a man who is walking in sexual integrity and has provided in me and in my family and in my relationships so much life and peace. So all that to say, do not think that I'm finger pointing. I am held to the standard just as much as you are. The point being, Jesus calls us to radical amputation to cutting off access to the thing that is enticing us back into sin. And only you know your access points. Again, you've got to define what porn is for you, and you've got to understand how you're getting to that thing. You'll have to evaluate what this important step looks like for you. What I will say is that it's often not a one-and-done exercise. It's a process of evaluating and reevaluating what your access points are, where the availability is, and what exactly you need to cut off time and time again. It's about making the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. And it's so crucial. Jesus says so. The second ingredient in becoming porn-free is just as crucial. This is not order of importance. These are all super important in becoming porn-free. The second one is to cut off anonymity. Cut off anonymity. When we're talking about anonymity, we're talking about isolation or being alone. And, and I don't mean only physical isolation because I think it's kind of obvious. I don't know anybody that watches porn out in the open with a bunch of people around. I think everyone kind of just does that with the door closed when no one's around. It thrives in an environment of isolation. Yes, of course, I'm talking about that. But I'm talking more about relational isolation. You, you cannot successfully overcome this by yourself. It will not happen. You are literally wasting your time if you think you could just learn a couple things and begin to do some things on your own in your own private space and think that you're going to have long-term success or victory in this area won't happen. This sin, again, it thrives and grows in environments of isolation and disconnection. So what would make us think that the solution would, would happen in environments of isolation and disconnection? That's not how it's going to work. You cannot overcome porn while trying to do it alone. You, you're welcome to try. It might work for a little while. Again, you might get a couple of victories, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but over time, it's just not going to be able to be sustained. And that's because God has literally created us for each other and not in the churchy cliche way of like, hey guys, come on, we need relationships. Let's do life together. Like, I'm not, I guess it sounded like I'm mocking that. That's true. We do. We need relationships. We need to do life together. But I'm, uh, let's go beyond that and understand that when we say God created us for relationships, we mean that we actually belong to each other. We belong to each other. We are a part of each other, whether we're acting like that or not. You are not your own. I am not my own. And, and other cultures seem to get this way better than us, at least some of them. If you've done any amount of traveling or missions trips, you've probably witnessed more of this village-oriented, community-minded way of living. But here out in the West, despite all of the, the, the accolades and all the advancements that we're making in other areas, we are so 
losing out in this area. We are so hyper individualistic, right? You got yourself into this problem. You got to get yourself out. That's us. It's all about building our own little personal empires of success with our picket fences and privacy fences and property lines, right? This is what we're about. And I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm saying this is how we're, we're steeped in this culture of individualism. For the most part, we're just doing our own thing. We might be around people from time to time, but so often we are relationally disconnected and isolated. And, and I believe without a shadow of a doubt that this is one of the primary drivers for the overwhelmingly high porn usage rates here in the U.S. that affect so many people. And it's because so many people feel alone. We might be around people again. We might have a chat at church or have acquaintances at work that we talk to or have some casual friendships or bump into so-and-so at the store, but we go back into our homes. And if we're brave enough to shut off technology and distractions, and if we were to really sit with ourselves for any amount of time, it probably would not be hard to feel as if that you're surrounded by people, but you're not actually known by anybody. You're surrounded by people. We're all surrounded by people, but oftentimes we're not actually known by anybody. Duke University put out this survey. It was pre-COVID, so I think that these numbers are probably even higher now because COVID kind of made us all weird in terms of how we relate to each other, kind of did a number on us. Um, but pre-COVID, these results came out and they discovered that in the last 20 years, the number of people saying that they have nobody to discuss important matters with tripled. 24.6% of people say that they have no one that they can trust, family or non-family. That's one out of every four Americans. And I'm telling you, this is absolutely a contributor to why so many of us are sexually broken. We're longing for connection and we're settling for a substitute. And God says this is not the way that it should be from the garden. Genesis chapter 2, I don't have the verse up here for you, but you know the verse. It's not good for man to be alone. That's something being said by God before sin has entered the world. Everything's going great. Sin isn't there. Evil isn't there. God looks at Adam and he's like, this is good, but it's also not good. Something's wrong. Something is not good. And we oftentimes use that to talk about marriage. He needed a woman to come on in and it applies to marriage for sure. But we know later the Apostle Paul is going to say, oh yeah, but not everyone should get married. So we know it can't only be about marriage. What it's talking about more fundamentally is that we need each other. We need relationships. It is a need that God has designed us to have, to be interconnected with one another. He looks at Adam before the fall and says it is not good to be alone. Think about the implications of that. Adam standing there with the creator of the universe. He's known by God without any barrier of sin, right? Think about that. Just no barrier of sin. He's able to know God and to be known by God. And God says, this isn't good. This isn't good. Like what? What this means is that you and I can be with God, connected to God, thinking on God, dwelling with God, and we could still be in a not good place if we are relationally disconnected from others. We cannot experience and know God, I would say, the way that we were meant to until we experience and know him alongside others. This is out of God's own mouth. We were designed for relationships. We belong to each other. And so if that's the case, how foolish it would be of us to try to overcome sexual sin 
according to our, our own might, our own resources, and, and by ourselves. It would be so foolish to do that. Again, we belong to each other. Romans 12 says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has its own special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. And we know the famous Galatians 6, 2 verse, carry one another's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This means that if I don't bring you my burden, you can't fulfill the law of Christ. And if you don't bring me your burden, I can't fulfill the law of Christ. We are designed to do this thing together. We can't obey the law of Christ if we're not operating the way that God has designed us. There's a guy named Joshua Broom. He's a former porn star. He's a former top five porn star who shot over a thousand videos, which is crazy. He has become a born again Christian, radically saved by Jesus. Now pastors a church, has wife and a family, and he's been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he has said in, in relation to this power of being known by others, that the degree to which you are transparent about where you are, what you struggle with and what you've done is the degree to which you are opening yourself up for healing and redemption and transformation. The degree to which you're willing to get real, to drop the facade, to not just say, yeah, I'm struggling here, but this is how I'm struggling here. And this is really where I'm truly at with it. The degree to which you're w willing to get raw and honest about that with another person is the degree to which you're opening yourself up for healing, right? God's word says it this way in James 5, 16. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We confess to God for forgiveness, for repentance, for a clean conscience before him. We confess to each other for healing, God's word says. There, there is a healing that can only be experienced by bringing the fullness of our sin out into the light before another person. This is the second crucial ingredient in becoming porn-free. The third ingredient is to deal with your appetite. If you notice, there's three A's here. It's easy to remember. The, the ingredients, we got availability, anonymity, and appetite. The third being deal with your appetite. So to drive these things home, I want to give a little illustration that, that requires you to use your imagination a little bit. So here's the honest truth. If porn is available, if you're anonymous, and if you have an appetite for it, you will choose porn every single time. You'll, you'll, you'll shoot 100 for 100 from the field. You'll, you'll hit it 100% of the time. If these three things are in place, you'll choose porn every single time. And here's where the, the encouraging part is. Here's where the simple math comes in. If you remove any one of those things, things get a whole lot easier. You probably won't. This is an illustration. Imagine that you're in a house. And you walk into this house and there's a room that is labeled porn. It's got every little fantasy you could ever think of, whatever your thing is, all right? It's all in there. It's wide open and you're all alone and you have raging desire for it. What are you going to do? You're going to go for it every single time. You're going to 100% of the time, if it's in there, you're all alone and you want it. Well, there you go. It's going to happen. But here's a scenario. Say you walk into that house again. You're all alone. The appetite is there. It's raging, but the door is vaulted shut. It's passcode protected. There's no way you're getting into it. You've cut off the availability of it. You might be frustrated, 
but the situation just got easier. Another scenario. You walk into that same house, see that same room. The door is wide open. Your sexual appetite is raging, but one thing is different. You're standing next to your mom or your grandma or your grandpa or your pastor or mentor friend. That situation obviously just got a whole lot easier. You take these, th these three things, availability, anonymity, and appetite, and you remove any one of them, you absolutely, without question, will experience more victory than you currently are now. What we all want, of course, if we're serious about having victory in this area, is to be able to walk into a situation like that, walk into that metaphorical house with the, and see the room with the door wide open, recognize that you're alone, and to be able to look at it and to, and to walk away. That's what we all want. Right? We want to be able to say, yeah, I could do that. I re recognize that I could, but I no longer want to. The appetite has been changed. That doesn't satisfy anymore. That, that brings shame. That brings separation. That brings consequences. Uh, that brings a fracture in relationship between God and I. I no longer have an appetite for that. That's what we all want, for the appetite to be changed and transformed. And that is something that only God can do, right? We can't change our appetites. We can't be the ones to change the desires, but God can. And I can tell you from experience that the more serious I've gotten about removing availability and anonymity, the more faithful God is and has been to transform this appetite in me, and he'll do the same in you. The more serious you become about eliminating and cutting off access, availability, and the anonymity, removing isolation and becoming more deeply connected with others, God will absolutely 100% begin to do his faithful work at transforming your desires because you're walking in obedience and you're responding to him and showing him by your actions that you really are serious about this. And so he will begin to do this transformative work. As I mentioned, um, I gave up social media for a time. I still don't have an app store <laughs> availability on my phone. If I need to download an app, I got to go to a trusted mentor who's got the password and he plugs it in for me and I download what I need and then he locks it back up, right? Um, this is the availability, availability and the anonymity pieces working together there. And why? Because we all know, and, and I've known in the past, that we'll say, you know what? I just, I don't need Facebook anymore. I don't need TikTok anymore. I don't need, I'm just going to delete that for now. I'm just not going to mess with it anymore. And then what happens? Two, three days later, you re-download it. You just download it again because you don't have the self-control to do it. Again, when we're talking about addiction or being enslaved to sin, we need to treat it like one. This is not, again, about trying harder. It's not about just stopping. It's about action. Also on the anonymity front, I've begun to prioritize having front-end conversations about this issue, not just back-end confessions where you get the little pat on the back and you're like, messed up again this week and... They're like, ah, oh, it's okay, brother. Love you, praying for you. And it's like, oh, thank you. You know, it felt good. And, and that's good and that's necessary and that's part of accountability. As, as we've already talked about, confession is massively important. But it's also a good idea to start having people check in on you before you need to confess, to get ahead, to keep a watch in your soul and to know how to pray for you. In that regard, I, I literally text a guy in our church every single day, and I've done so for a long time, to let him know how my previous 24 hours went in this area. I'd be ruthlessly honest with him, and, and I've told him that if I don't contact him, I want him to confront me about it. And I can tell you 
that this has been one of the absolute biggest game changers for me over the years, knowing that each day a conversation is going to happen between me and this guy. And it's probably wise to get someone that you somewhat have a, you know, a righteous amount of fear for. It's not just your buddy who doesn't really care what's going on in your life, but someone that you actually respect. Knowing that that conversation is coming has been a huge deterrent for me when temptation has come knocking. I call this same guy every Monday morning. I let him know how I'm doing mentally, emotionally, stress levels, how my marriage is going. And it might be a thumbs up, everything's going great right now conversation, but it's just getting ahead of everything so that he can know how I'm doing, so that he can check in, see if there's any pot potential triggers, be praying for me, and know how to check in on me throughout my week. I give him a window into my life. And it's taken time for me to get there. I'm just letting you know very transparently, these are, these are things I've had to add into my life. And again, I wish I would have done these things a whole lot so sooner. And these things might not always be there, but they've really been working and they've really been helping. And so I would really encourage you to consider some similar things. And I understand that this might be completely overwhelming to you. It's really not as hard as it sounds. It, it just takes a seriousness about what Jesus is saying. It takes counting the cost. It takes a sincere looking at your life and asking yourself who you actually want to be and what you're willing to give up to get there. And again, if you're faithful to address these things, God will address the appetite. God will transform your desires in increasing measure. And again, I'm far from perfect. I've had some slips along the way, but the slips continue to get further and further apart as I submit myself to these things. And to be abundantly clear, the things that I'm doing aren't because I'm a good person, but because God is doing these things in and through me as I just say yes to him in obedience. He is giving me the resolve. He is the one helping me to follow through. He has been the one who has sanctified me. He is the one that gets all the glory. And we see this all throughout scripture, but I, but I especially like this in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 as we close things out here. This is a church in Thessalonica, Paul says this, he says, for this is the will of God. Anytime you see that, maybe just pause and, and just attune your ears because it doesn't say it that much in the New Testament. But hey, here, I'm going to be clear. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each, of one, each one of you know how to uh, control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you could say a whole ton about those verses. We don't have time to get deeply into them. Here's what I will say. What we're talking about tonight is more than possible. Becoming a person who's porn free, who's walking in the light and living a life of sexual integrity, it's not just possible, it's inevitable if we will just take steps of obedience. When, when God says, this is my will, that you abstain from sexual morality, and learn how to conduct yourself and control your own body in holiness and honor. That means that you and I are able to do this, to carry it out. God is not toying with us. He's not like, hey, I want you to control yourself, but also you can't because you're just too addicted. You're too, you're too steeped in this. Sorry about it. No, there is hope for change. There is a possibility and it's inevitable that, that, that we can change in this area because God's calling us to it. 
And we see this all over the place. We see it right there. Why? Because he's given us his Holy Spirit, the one that is enabling us to change. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Not his divine power will give you or has given to you in, in some portion, but no, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We have everything that we need, which is why after saying this to the church in 1 Thessalonians, Paul ends this letter by saying this. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As we say yes to Jesus in this area of our lives, as we get serious about cutting off availability, cutting off anonymity, God will empower us all the way through and will transform our appetites, transform our desires, and give us more freedom than we ever thought was possible. He will surely do it. So I've attached a couple resources below this video. If you want to click those and check that out, there's all kinds of stuff there that will help you as you make these decisions, as you pray through what your next step is in for obedience to Jesus. You can take a look at those. If you have any questions regarding this teaching or topic, I am so available to you. I want to help in any way that I can. So feel free to email me. My email is awinter at ncgreenwood.org. Another detail here as we close it out, guys, if you are a guy that is watching this and you want to go deeper, we talked about removing isolation and you realize that you need a group of guys in the fight. We're starting up a four-month men's group that will meet bi-weekly where we're going to specifically tackle this issue and you can click the button below that says men's sexual integrity group for more information on that. But we love you guys and we'll continue to pray for you as you take steps toward freedom. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Better Way podcast. My hope is that it has encouraged your faith and, and challenged you to think more deeply about this particular topic of pornography and sexual sin. As always, feel free to reach out to me with any questions you might have, or if you're just looking to bring the issue out into the open with someone, but you don't really know where to start. We'd also be so appreciative if you'd like and subscribe to this podcast, leave us a review, or give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at The Better Way podcast the more engagement that we get the more that the people will see these episodes and it'll reach more and more people so thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time